Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.alafarm.com. And also brought to you by Fatanis. Masters of Darkness. Fatanis is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles, built around the Fatanis 16mm filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18mm image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra-compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16mm monocular, the PD Pro B 16mm binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Fatanis Defense, Masters of Darkness. I'm your host, Joe Baia, here today with my co-host, Clint Flowers. And today, Clint, we're going to be talking about something that can really add a lot of value to a piece of property and that's build a bridge. You've got some experience with this. Yeah. I've uh, seen a lot of bridges in my day. Some of them that uh, probably uh, they're acting like a bridge, but shouldn't be you know, all the way to really heavy duty bridges that privately owned that, that look like something you'd see on the interstate. Yeah. I've been across some bridges that definitely gave me the willies and rightly so. In fact, there's a bridge close to my place that I drove over a bunch as a kid. And I can remember thinking that man, this thing doesn't look all that safe. And then one day we went up there and the bridge was gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not something that you want to take lightly if you are building a bridge on your property. It's something you definitely want to make sure you're building something that can handle the load that you're going to put on it and make sure you're building it and putting it in a place that it's not going to get undermined by the water you're trying to span across. And then really, you know, doing it economically. If you're building this to get log trucks across versus to get an ATV across, that's a two very separate considerations. To kind of talk through all of that with us today, we've got Lee Roberts of Innovative Bridge Company joining us. He's going to answer all those questions and more. Lee, welcome to Huntland, man. First off, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and Innovative Bridge Company. Yeah, my name is Lee Roberts. I'm with Innovative Bridge Company. We build bridges all across the United States. We average about 150 bridges a year from Texas to Pennsylvania. We got a unique way of doing it. We build them out of rail cars. So our little niche there that we can get in there and, and create access and, you know, two days at max. So we're based out of Mississippi, but we've got offices in uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Texas, Alabama. So we kind of reach out a pretty good bit across the U.S. Well, Clint's had a lot of experiences with bridges on his properties and other properties. Uh, I've seen some bridges that I didn't really want to go across. I've seen some bridges that were done That's really right. well. I've got a property that is on a creek. And, uh, you know, if I could buy the property across the creek from me and build a bridge to it, I could cut 30 minutes off my drive time going to the camp on the weekends. And, you know, so cutting an hour of driving off over the years is, is a huge value in terms of 
you know, being able to enjoy my property and really saving money when you start to think about how many times you make that drive, how much fuel you spend, how much time you spend. So there's no, no debating that uh, bridges can make your property more valuable to you and, and to somebody else. If somebody is considering a bridge on their property, what do they really need to think about before they begin that project? Well, the main thing is what's the goal of the bridge? Is it just for recreational use? Is it for industrial logging? What kind of vehicles you want to take across it? And then once you you got that in mind, you know, how much land are you gaining access to? You know, if it's five acres, it may not make sense. But if it's 100 acres, you know, the cost of a bridge divided by 100 is a lot better than divided by five. Exactly. So that is the biggest thing is, you know, how much is that access worth? And there's cheap ways to do it. And then there's, if you get into the industrial side of it, there's more expensive ways that, you know, it's more for liability to protect yourself and everybody that's crossing the bridge more than anything else. You know, talking about when or when it doesn't make sense, I think you you brought up a great point there. Like if this is giving you access to a hundred acres or more, the cost of that bridge is spread out over that. And, you know, but if it allows you to go in there and do something like logging, for example, uh, you know, maybe be able to pay for that bridge the first time you you send a skidder or a logging truck across it. Exactly. That being said, w- when does it not really make sense? I mean, when is it not needed? Uh, maybe you could get away with not using a bridge to do what you're trying to do. And, and then when does it not make sense either? And that's, you know, if it's 10 acres and let's say it's a 70 foot span, I don't see where, unless you just really need to be on that 10 acres, I don't see where the cost of a 90 foot bridge and equipment is on coming there to get you be cost efficient. No value add depending on what you're going to get. You know, if you're Th- going that's, to a food plot versus going to get a hundred thousand dollars worth of timber. Th- that's correct. I mean, there's it's very hard to to justify that that price. Now, if it's a backwater that you got a ravine through that culverts can handle because there's no current, it really don't make a sense to, to invest in a bridge there unless it's just too far that you've got to, to span it that far. I mean, it don't make sense to put 12 culverts in there. You could just put a bridge. So I always try to put bridges just because the, the biggest thing is, is a culvert restrict is a restriction. It is. I mean, you got to fight mother nature. That's right. That's right. And what works now don't mean it's going to work 10 years from now. They may clear cut upstream or they may develop something upstream that's going to push 10 times more water to you that what that culvert handled for 10 years is not going to handle no more. Where a bridge is... I mean, you got an open span. I mean, you letting the creek do its do its thing. Now, where it also don't make sense is if you're in a wetland and you cannot get the bridge above the flood line. A lot of times, especially when there's current, uh, a tree come down and hit the bridge, and you know that's gonna create another dam. Every everything that hits it is gonna and it's gonna start pushing water towards your banks. And it's gonna wash out the banks. And where you used to could have a forty foot bridge, you're gonna need a seventy foot bridge because all this water has been you know, diverted through the, to the banks and eroded. That's more of a low water situation for where you'd want a low water cross on a Ford so that it would be. That's right. There'll be times when you can't use it, but it's not, you're not going to run into that situation you just mentioned either. That's right. But getting your low cord up above the floodplain is, is a big, or a lot of people mess up and, you know, it creates more trouble than, um, than before. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring all this up because that's one of the first things that I, I think about is site selection, is knowing how long do I need this bridge to be? Uh, what's the height of the flood water? And probably most importantly is like, do you need a permit to do this kind of stuff? I mean, like I'm, 
talking about my personal situation, the, the creek I would potentially build a bridge across is it's a significant creek. It's not a, you know, it's not just a little babbling brook. I mean, it moves some serious water through there when, when we get a lot of rain. And that'd be my concern is building something that's just going to get torn up. So when it comes to site selection, how do you pick, you know, the length of the span, for example? It's different state by state. And I wish there was one set of rules that governed all this, but every state's different. The Corps of Engineers, the number one you got to be mindful of. The Corps, as long as you're not in the wetland, and the Corps will let you put a bridge as long as you free span it. That means no pilings in the middle. You free span it, and you stay six foot back from the shoreline. You can't encroach the shoreline. So in saying that, let's say for easy calculation, you got a 20-foot creek. Well, to, to abide by Corps' laws, you need to stay six foot on either side, so you need a minimum of 32-foot bridge. Mm-hmm. So that's how you would make your selection. Now the DNRs in each state, some, a lot of states, um, Kentucky and Indiana, they, they play a big role in that and making sure there's no endangered species or anything like that. And they'll give, you know, give you a permit for, and then some counties, uh, especially up Tennessee, Kentucky, all of them have uh, a bridge permit. It's nothing to be scared of. It's just, you go apply for it like a driveway permit. I mean, it's, they want to know what you're doing and, where you get in trouble is if you don't follow these simple steps and you put something in and it creates flooding backwater upstream. Yeah. yeah. Back, they're going to come and look and see what the, what's caused this all, all of a sudden flooding that's never happened before, whether that be with culverts or bridges or anything. So there is yeah. some permit processing to go through, but it's nothing to be scared of. It's simple. I know for our customers, we handle it for them and it's just a few phone calls and some documentation is all it is. Yeah. And there's some, permit exclusions you know jay like we've talked about in the on the timber side of things before not just for going to a food plot but like there's exclusions to the wetlands act for the purpose of silver culture which is forestry activity things like that but you got to make sure that you're you've got an applicable site to that because if you don't you know and you just think you do then you could mess around and get in trouble but you know and, it, and, and everything's relative and within context so you can't you know bring the taj mahal of bridges to say i did that to get to 10 acres of timber Right. So like you said, you just want to make sure you measure twice and cut once. Don't just go in there half cocked and get yourself in trouble. Lee, you're talking about free span. How much is possible there? So, I mean, if somebody goes out there and they're looking at this creek, they want to cross. And I mean, is it as simple as kind of taking their range finder out there and, and shooting across and seeing how far they've got to span and then understanding what's just too far of a span? Or can it well, be accomplished in different ways? Pylons. A range finder is my, my best tool. I mean, I, that is when there's a body of water getting an accurate measurement, that is, you know, the best way to do it. You know, 80 foot is kind of the max that you can free span and stay within the core's limits. That's putting in a 90, 91 foot bridge. After that, you have to put pilings in, but sometimes a piling can be outside the creek bank. And um, I mean, we've put several together to make 180 foot before and staying out of the water to do so. So it, Every scenario, and that's what's unique about these bridges, you know, this, and a lot of people don't understand they're not a click and ship item. You know, every, every scenario is different. The soil is different. The equipment it takes to get it in there is different. I mean, there's a lot of times we have to track them in with excavators three miles, you know, just because you can't yep. get trucks back there. But, I mean, 80 foot with using a 90 foot rail car is the furthest you can free span without having to put pilings in. Is 90 foot the longest rail car you can buy? Yes, sir. That is correct. And see, 
and while we're on that, you know, a rail car comes, they're nine foot wide, which is very hard, you know, legally for a residential property, we can't put a nine foot bridge in because fire trucks and first responders can't cross it. It has to be a minimum of 10 foot. Some states are 11 foot. So you got two options. You can either put two side by side or we modify them and make them 12 foot wide where you still, it's cheaper than buying two cars. You can do one car and make it 12 foot wide and to make it legal for, you know, first responders and everybody else to get in there. If you was to put a camp or a home or anything like that behind it. For 18 wheelers, if you want to do it for log trucks, you know, a 12 foot bridge is perfect if you're in a straightaway. But if you got a hard curve coming out of the bridge, you need to look at doing it wider because the trailer's got a track onto the bridge as well. And that's where a lot of people, a 12 foot bridge is plenty fine, fine, but then log trucks get there and the trailer can't make it onto the, to the bridge because there's a, you know, a hard curve right there before the bridge. So that's one thing to take in consideration on the, you know, the selection of the width and length is, that you're looking for. What is the standard weight that just that, that nine foot bridge that width can handle? Is it dependent on the length or is it just pretty standard no matter what? Depending on the car, there's 60 ton cars, there's, there's 65 ton cars and there's 70 ton cars. So a 70 ton car. Now this rating, I want to be clear on this is from center of, of truck to center of truck, you know, where the, the axles were on the, the trucks were on the rail car. So they're, they range from 66 to 70 foot. That's where you get in your full 70 ton rating, like 140,000 pounds. So on our website, we have several documents on there that, you know, different engineers have reduced it, you know, reduced the rating the further you go back, you know, away from the center of the trucks from mm-hmm. each side. So uh, most of them's around 100,000 to 120,000 is what you're getting on a single car. Now you, you put two of them there, you doubling it, you know. Well, I, they're doing a timber harvest on my place right now. And, and they told me the first truck that came out had the truck and all the timber on it weighed right at, I think it was like 98,000 pounds. And uh, they probably got in a little bit of trouble for that, for having it that heavy. But you think about that going over a bridge. I mean, that's a significant load that you're able to put on these spans. Well, that's, you got to quit, you, you quit riding on the log trucks, Joe. <laughs> yeah, the 84,000 is usually the magic number that, you know, you're the truck's supposed to weigh, you know, that gives them the, the overage. And see, the what a lot of people don't consider, that 18-wheeler, yeah, it's a lot of weight, but that ax, that, that weight is spread out so far. You know, there's very limited of time that that truck is all the weights on that bridge, you know, especially like a 40-foot. I mean, all the weight would never be on a 40-foot at that time. Mm-hmm. Where you'd have to, we really have to, con- are concerned about the concrete truck. It's a concentrated load, you know, on a, mm-hmm. a 80,000 pounds. In a, in a 20 foot span that's where you have to really get um you, you're putting the bridge to the test you know excavators is the same way i mean we have to walk the excavator back across and the excavators we use are you know usually eighty thousand pound machines so we're going to test it out before you get to because we got to walk the machine back across it it's a good test when you leave oh yeah <laughs> for sure all right guys y'all stick around When we come back, we're going to be learning more about what you need to think about in building a bridge on your property. Great Days Outdoors magazine. If you hunt or fish in Alabama or the Deep South, you know that it's different down here. 
Spawning seasons, patterns, and food sources are not the same as the other areas of the country. At Great Days Outdoors Magazine, Southern Outdoor Riders pick the brains of the best Southern hunters and anglers to give you the best how-to, where-to, and when-to articles along with so much more. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern Outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports and Outdoors, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. You know, I'm, I'm used to seeing all kind of bridges from the, you know, guys that, that landowners install stuff at, at your level of quality to redneck engineers that slap something together uh, on the weekend, which I've been guilty of, you know, pole bridges, all kind of stuff. So what, I mean, what kind of lifespan can you typically expect out of a, of a rail car setup like this? Man, I mean, really, uh, our grandkids, grandkids, I mean, they're built so heavy. And there is, is, if you got something protecting it from corrosion, you know, what you set it on. And, as you know, we put them in for counties all the time for temporary bridges and, you know, on low-volume roads. What the, a county considers a low-volume road is anything that's crossed 1,500 times, you know, a month. You'd be lucky if you get 1,500 crosses in a lifetime, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on a so, I mean – long as it's maintained and when i say maintained painted and you know keeping from rust i mean there's a lifetime so you know buy once cry once deal and when you say depends on what you set it on what do you mean i mean what are y'all what do you recommend or what do you typically do we use precast abutments just because it's a lot of times it's that's the easiest way to do it it's just concrete abutments that we have poured before time you know beforehand we bring them to the site that keeps us from having to get concrete and pump trucks involved to get across the other side. Okay. Uh, we'll down, set those on grade. All it's doing is protecting it from corrosion and distributing that weight out across the, you know, the land. So to keep the bridge up steady, you could do the same thing with limestone base. It ain't gotta be concrete. I mean, there's a lot of counties we do that they're temporary bridges. They only gonna be there for six, seven months. And, you know, we put a limestone base down, set it down and, We'll put geo grid under, you know, to help distribute the weight, but that's it. Just something to protect it from, you know, oxidizing. So if you're in an area where like, um, I know down here in coastal areas, you get a lot of high iron content, you know, your all these hunting camps got pink and red toilets from all that that's tends right. to, uh, that ground tends to eat metal faster than other areas. So I would say if you're, you own land in that environment, like I do, that's probably going to be something you want to make sure you're sitting this metal bridge down on something that it'll last a little longer for sure and the the precast concrete abutments are the way to go because you don't have the the cost of pump trucks and everything getting to both sides i mean they're already poured and set up and they're they're one single piece you know they're not you know some people use the bin blocks and that's an option for a landowner i mean that is a very option you know the the two by four by six concrete bin blocks Mm -hmm. put them in there when you put two side by side to make it wider we don't like doing that because if one block settles, wobbles. Yes, sir. The bridge is going to wobble and, you know, make it unfit. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why we pour the one piece solid and you don't have to worry about that. Lee, you mentioned, the, uh, you mentioned the corrosion. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the issues that can uh, arise from flood water. Are those the most common problems that happen with private bridges? You know, are there other problems people need to be trying to avoid? Yes. And, and, where there's a lot of current and a lot of times it's best if you're not in a flood zone and let's say this creek rises 
and it gets two foot side of the bank. And it's a, it's a raging, you know, beast when it comes through there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people try to raise it up and they build ramps on both sides. Well, it turns into a net. You got an island after the, you know, yeah. after the, the water's gone, you can't get across your bridge because your ramps are going on both sides. Mm-hmm. If you can get them, your ramps built and, a lot of people put riffraff and everything else, but the best thing to do that we found out over the time is if you can side it, you get grass growing on it, it will hold. Rock, I've learned this a double-edged sword, that riffraff, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, that riffraff causes turbulence, and turbulence is what creates, you know, land or road. So, but grass, I mean, if you notice everywhere else around that bridge has got grass on it, floodwaters come up, go back down, it's still just like it was before. The other thing is if 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 they would just left it inset it in the ground, let the water go over it, and there's no ramps, you know, to, to d- disturb it. Once we've had them seven foot water, seven foot below water in the Tinsaw River before, and several times a year. And when the floodwaters come down, the bridge is still there. Nothing, the road, everything's still there. It's just you creating something for that water to have to to go around. This will cut through it. Joe, we've talked about that in the past. Where you try to fight Mother Nature, she's going to win. So. Yeah. You know, the less you can argue with her and stay out of her way, the better. So we've, we've done what you talk about here and then are either do a real, like a turtle back to where that, if you've got to have an entry where it's turtle backed up so that water can come over and, and come over on a ramp. So it doesn't have that friction and that turbulence where it's not sitting there spinning and eroding everything out. Excellent advice. And uh, the, I guess the other thing that you run into a lot of people that, you know, most of your bridges on being bottom land, you know, you're coming down the hill on one side, yep. going across and going back up the other side is when you put it in, make sure you get your ditches on both sides to divert the water away from your abutments, away from your bridge. If you get it where it's diverting the water, you know, on the downstream side, it's not that big of a deal. On the upstream side, you know, that water is, is coming back to you. So if you can get it as far as away as you can, the bridge where your ditches to get it to dump in and then to give it where it's not cutting out up underneath the bridge is your biggest, you know, the other, other thing that we see a lot that could have been prevented if, if you know, if, if the right drainage and ditches were put in. Lee, you're talking about the longevity of these spans, and obviously they're going to outlast our lifetime for sure. But when it comes to that and it comes to the construction of the bridges, like, is there any guarantee on that construction? You, you, you know, we talked about some of these problems that can, can arise, and it sounds like y'all really gotten a system sorted out and you've kind of dealt with things over the years and you know you know what to do what not to do but like do you guys guarantee your construction in any way and is that common we guarantee the workmanship and we can guarantee the bridge it's just this takes engineering and every state requires its own engineer stamp i mean we've done we just did did a big job in georgia for southern company you know it had to be engineered it's that comes with extra costs you know because you are dealing with a used rail car and but the benefit of that is, you know, you're looking at a third of the cost of a, a bridge that was built the conventional way, you know, concrete and beams and everything else, not to mention a, a three month, six month build time. So there is, we got the paperwork on the rating of the car, which is also stamped on the car and can be engineered. But as far as that's, it's a double-edged sword there. Yes, it can be, but typically landowners are not looking for that. They're looking for just access and the simplicity of it, you know, the being able to get it in there and get it quick without being a major $500,000 project. Right. 
Yeah, and like I said, get in there and get it done. I mean, so much stuff is about like once you decide you need Timing. something, and you're just like, I want it. I want it now. You know, yep. <laughs> I want to yep. get over there. And being able to get it done and get it done in, in a time span that you can use it with as little as little permitting, as little frustration as possible is nice. It's good to hear that y'all help out on the permitting side. I know a lot of people, anytime you start talking about paperwork, you know, that kind of backs them off of their, their vision a good bit. On our website, there's under resources, there's, you know, all kinds of different guidelines that get you through permitting. Even if you don't go through us, if you just need a place to go to find it, our website is www.ibridgecode.com. And there's all kinds of resources for permitting through the Corps of Engineers, you know, through DNRs, through uh, different states, uh, just to to get you pointed in the right direction. And, and a phone call to us just to ask. I mean, we don't mind helping anybody. You know, we ain't got to put in the bridge. And speaking of that, I mean, rail cars are not the only type of bridges there are out there. I mean, there's people that use flatbed tra- trailers. I will tell you from our standpoint, flatbed trailers on a liability point standpoint, we can't do that because the I-beams are so close up underneath the, the trailer for the tandem axles to be there mm-hmm. that they're designed for a dead load, not a live load. So explain what that means. I mean, if I, I think I'm following where it's got a static weight where all that stuff stay and put. It's not that that weight's not being moved and distributed across it. That's that is correct. It's not you know moving across there. It's, it's designed for to be placed on there and, and that's it. Yep. And that's the only down. But will they work for you know? A hunting camp, most definitely. I mean, it's the most cost-effective way to do it. Um, yeah. There's, you know, same thing with the light poles. I mean, I've seen them work. I've drove across them on many a hunting piece, you know, hunting property. You know, rail car is not the only way. It's just an option. And it's um, the rail car, once you put it in the ground, you drive across it right then. You know, and they're solid steel decks. You don't have to worry about wood rotting or anything else. Um, you, don't, you don't lay awake at night wondering if somebody's going to ride across it and, and it fail. And, that's right. You know, it, it's that's that's always been my biggest concern on wooden bridges over time, or even anything from any kind of bed of a, anything that's that's got bolts and connections and welds and all that kind of stuff in it that could deteriorate. When you think about hunting properties, it's usually not a matter of if it's going to go wrong, it's just when it's going to go wrong. You know, it's, it's when that tractor is going to break down. And I'm with you, Clint, like the less moving parts, the better in my mind, the less materials yeah. that, that can corrode or, you know, rot away, the better. We had a bridge that went to one of our hunt properties as a kid. And I remember driving across it and just thinking, somebody's going to be on this thing when it fails someday, you know, like, yeah, I mean, that's the only way it's going to happen. Good, it's, it's not it's a good, it's rarely going to, that's right. It's rarely going to happen on its own. It's going to happen with somebody on top of it. And yeah, that, that always worries me. So it's, uh, I've always kind of leaned toward this option when it was feasible and we've had crossings calls from, from one thing to the next, we've got areas in the river bottom where it, you know, you got 35 miles of natural silt roads to get a bridge to that cost, you know, it, cost a fortune to get anything down there compared to something that's on a hill and a paved road so it's not always the material cost or the bridge cost it's about the logistics of getting it there but in this one particular site when we get a bridge put in it's going to save us 13 miles of hauling to get a bunch of hardware up to the hill where right now it takes 13 miles further that we got to fight mother nature and fight rain and hope to the crown on the road holds up and all this kind of stuff that we don't have to worry about anymore you know, that's, that's less we can sell our timber for because the 
company's going to come behind them and spend that much more to bring the road back up. All that kind of stuff goes out the window when we cut off that 13 miles because of this bridge. And on top of that, when we're done, as long as it's one we can leave in, we've got a nice shortcut to all our prime hunting spots now too. And, um, you know, for those of us on here that are familiar with the Alabama river cutoff that have been down in a few years, there's a 6,000 acre Island. We sold a large portion of years ago that didn't have any access. Now it's got a bridge across the cutoff that uh, they got permitted and got put in. And it's just a good example of timber that was worth nothing, beautiful, but worth nothing because you couldn't get it. Well, now there's 6,000 acres of timber that can be accessed by a private bridge that now has a lot of value, not only for the landowner and the owner of that bridge, but for the people that have to use it, you know, that get to pay that landowner, what we call a tipping fee just to use it. Uh, so that landowner's paying for that bridge that way on top of being able to get their own timber and the, you know, neighbors don't mind because now they can get timber out that they previously couldn't. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of ways to find value in, in a good bridge besides just, you know, one event. But, you know, speaking of that, Lee, what do you typically say is a, is a reliable range of cost for this type bridge? And again, it depends on the situation, and everything else, but I'm going to stay with a 90 footer. Yeah. Delivered and installed. And what I'll do, I'll give a low end. I'm gonna give a high end. Okay. Uh, Thirty thousand to sixty thousand, depending on what what is required. Now, which is an eighth of the cost of ninety foot concrete bridge. Mm-hmm. That that's just some good numbers to go off of. And that's put that in. That's us delivering and install it. We can sell you the bridge, the rail car, and you do it yourself, and it'd be even you know cheaper than that. It's just depend. That that's a turnkey price so a good range to go by and that the shorter you get you know down to 40 foot so you're talking i mean really very reasonable in terms of cost very cost effective because like we're talking about if you're trying to get to five acres then maybe a 90 foot span ain't gonna make that much sense but maybe it would i mean it really depends on what's on that five acres and you know maybe it's a beautiful you know spot you could build a nice cabin and it's going to make that whole property pop. You know, it's really hard to say without knowing somebody's unique situation. I'm sure a lot of this comes back to that, which is uh, like a lot of the things we talk about on here. It's really hard to give absolutes when you're dealing with land. Everybody's got a little different situation. That's right. There, There's a lot to think about there, but, but that being said, I mean, just say it's $60,000. Can you finance a bridge? Oh yeah. We, we finance them every day uh, through, uh, I mean, through our website, you can, uh, go through and finance it uh, up to, I think it's eight years, no money down, no, uh, just monthly payment. And another option, you know, to look at is, you know, let's say a landowner bought some land and are inherited some land. And it's got timber on it and, you know, they can't get it out because of, they need a bridge. Uh, well, they can't afford a bridge, but another option is we rent them. We rent them and bring them in and set them up, let the log trucks come in there and do their thing. And then we'll take it back out of there. It's just another option to, to give up, you know, if you got land and to get a crossing, that's um, another, another avenue. I've never thought of that. Going back to what we're talking about, the, you know, the dangers. And I've thought about this is a lot of, we're talking about hunting hunters going across the bridge on these steel decks. The only downfall of the steel decks to keep in mind is, it ain't got to be 32 degrees for these steel decks to freeze with the air flowing under it. They can freeze at 36 degrees and you don't realize they are frozen until it's too late. So, you know, a simple set of 10 inch 
rub rails. So if you do come across on the side by side of your truck, uh, on that slick deck, solid steel deck, it's ice and you don't realize it until it's too late, it will keep you from going off the side. And it's just something to think about when you're, you're doing this to, um, yes, it does. It is maintenance free, but there is some downfalls to it. And any, anybody North of Tennessee need to really consider that. Well, Lee, talking to you on here today, I can tell that you guys have kind of seen it all, you know, like you said, uh, you can do it this way, but here's what's going to potentially happen if you do it that way. I always like talking to folks that can help me see around corners because I, I tend to find things out the hard way. But like we said, it's going to be very dependent on your property, how far you're trying to cross, what you're trying to move across. There's a lot that goes into this. If folks want to reach out to you, get in contact, maybe ask some questions about their needs. You mentioned the website earlier. Get, give everybody that again. And then how, how can they get in touch with you guys? Our website's www.ibridge c is in cat o.com phone number is uh 629-333-8211 would be happy to talk to anybody it ain't got to be hunting land uh i mean you know we was talking about when does it make sense uh we're actually in, working on a project right now putting in a 90 foot to access one acre well on that one acre it's going to be six more airbnb units hmm. so that's that's huge for them you know, yep. uh, more Airbnb units that stay rented out every night is a big, big deal. It depends on every situation different. Of does it make sense or does it not make sense? One good thing about the access, not having access is being able to, a lot of times you can get the land cheaper. I mean, if it ain't got access, it ain't got near the value. And we do it a lot. We do it. We build bridges for people that do the same thing as they buy this land cheap. We go in there and put a bridge on it. And before we get out of there, they got it up for sale, divvied up into to lots. And how creative do you want to be? I mean, it's just like with anything else, any other businesses, you know, you can take it as far or do as little with it as you, you want to. It's just, if you're willing to think outside the box a little, it can justify a whole lot more than most people think. Mm-hmm. Well, Lee, uh, it's it's been a pleasure, man. I've learned a lot from you today and we appreciate you joining us. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate y'all having us. All right, it's a really cool interview with Lee. Uh, let's take a minute and hear from some of our show sponsors. Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has produced the best engineered and finest quality feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. The Texas Hunter brand has become synonymous with quality and durability. By sticking to premium standards, the company delivers tough, long-lasting products that meet the real-life needs of anglers and hunters across America. Their fish feeders, deer feeders, hunting blinds, and outdoor accessories are among the highest rated in the industry. You can trust that your purchase from Texas Hunter Products will meet your needs for generations to come. To learn more, visit TexasHunter.com. And also brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Camera Viewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. Clint, I learned a lot today, namely that building a bridge is not as hard as it would seem to be. I mean, that would be something that I would be, I, I tend to kind of, anytime, anytime something is 
seems complicated or seems like there's going to be a, a lot of regulatory framework, I, I kind of push it to the back burner in my mind yep. a lot of times. And sounds like Lee and, and the folks over at Innovative Bridge Company kind of got it figured out where it's really just tell us where to where you want the thing. I like that. Yeah. Time savings is, you know, the older I get, the more I realize the value of that and, and being able to just point or even have them come tell me where the easiest spot's going to be just saves me a lot of time and effort and, and thought when I could be focused on other things that actually make money in my life. And as much as I love improving my property, I don't have to be completely immersed in that all the time to the point that it starts removing some of the fun factor for me. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I say, it's, you, you, you get these projects in your mind and you go on these deep dive Google searches, thinking about it for hours and hours and hours and hours. It'd be a lot better to just call somebody who's done it for hours and hours and hours and can say, no, you don't want to put it there. And, and here's why. And you don't want to use that material. Here's why. I thought Lee did a really good job of helping everybody see around corners today. If y'all want to check out his company, just Google Innovative Bridge Company and they'll pop up. They got some really cool pictures and past projects that they've done. They do some really cool stuff. Yep. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Huntland Show is brought to you by Rooftop Arms. Rooftop Arms specializes in custom firearms utilizing the highest end parts. Every firearm is hand-assembled in the USA with a lifetime warranty. Visit RooftopArms.com today. And also Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. They now have eight locations to serve you. Bixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Mallardbay.com. Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full-service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. MB Ranch King. MB Ranch King hunting blinds and feeders are built to last right here in the USA. Call Kevin today for more information or a quote at 205-807-2937. MB Ranch King, built in the pursuit of perfection. And also Alabama Ag Credit. If you're in the market to purchase your own piece of paradise or need an operating line for your farm, learn more by visiting alabamaagcredit.com.